Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is created, the Gadigal and Bidjigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. This is the Ash London Podcast. I am, you guessed it, Ash London. Reformed radio host, new mum and human being on a quest to live my best life when it feels like the world around me is imploding. Sound familiar? Every Tuesday we do a bit of mum chat. Every Thursday I do my favourite thing on the planet and I interview a guest. From celebrities who have entertained us over the craziness of the last two years to everyday people with inspiring stories. This is the Ash London Podcast. Hello, my darlings. How are you going? Hope you're well. It's been a week since I've uh, been on this podcast. We are still kind of just crawling back from uh, Adrian's COVID and just generally having a baby that needs us a lot of the time. I don't know if you can hear him crying in the background, but he's crying in the background, which means my boobs will soon be leaking, so I better get this intro done. Today's guest on the Ash London podcast is certainly someone I would like to be friends with. In fact, I didn't know she existed until um, she came on the podcast, which is one of the things I love about this podcast. I get to discover amazing people doing amazing things that I didn't know about before. So today's guest is Hannah Vasacek. Now, she started her jewellery brand, Francesca, at Tasmania's Salamanca Markets, and she's since grown the brand to eight figures revenue, which is like six figures is a million dollars. So that's like over $10 million. One, two, three, four. Yes, okay. Oof, that was a tough math for me to figure out, but I did. Um, she continues in the co-founder and co-owner role while mum of toddler Vienna. She's currently pregnant with baby number two. Now, as brand owners, Hannah and her sister Rachel have donated close to a million dollars to Australian charities through their business, including raising a hundred grand in six hours for bushfire relief, and they're currently aiming to raise another hundred k for flood relief. Plus, as you'll hear in this chat, when I heard how many women she employs, I was blown away. Hannah has very generously donated a $500 voucher for Francesca to one lucky listener, which is great in time for Mother's Day. If you would like to know how to win, well, you got to get to the end of the episode. Or you know what? You can just fast forward to the end right now. YOLO. Um, thank you, Hannah, for that very generous donation. Someone's going to be very, very lucky to win that. I hope you're as inspired as I was by this incredible woman. Say hello to Hannah Vasicek. Well, Hannah, welcome to the Ash London podcast. Thank you for making time, my friend. Thank you for having me. Um, we'll start with the, the business side of things. Um, yeah. So it seems to me that you are quite entrepreneurial from a very young age, which is mm-hmm. which is rare, I think, and we need more girls especially, I think, at a young yeah. age deciding they want to be businesswomen. Um, what was the kind of impetus when you were a kid to be this kind of entrepreneur? Yeah. Did you want to make money? Did you want power? Did you Were you bored? <laughs> what was it? 
Um, so from, I think from the start, like I was just one of those crazy children um, and now I have my crazy child um, who has way too much energy. And I think I was just always asking questions, always trying to discover and curious about life. So it all kind of started um, actually before jewellery. So before what I'm doing now, I was living in remote New South Wales um, when I was 12 and we had a two-hour bus ride every morning, two-hour bus ride from school every afternoon. Too far. That is a very long way to get to way sit in a bus. Far, but it was for like literally there was no other education opportunities, um, like super remote. And uh, I saw my first entrepreneurial opportunity then when I was 12, um, 20, <laughs> 20 hours a week on the bus. I literally would go to a wholesale uh, lolly store and buy a box of like 100 straps, you know, those rainbow straps. Yeah. And I... I'd buy the box for $20 and sell them individually for a dollar each. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. Like, what is this? Like, I can find something and find a, a market where I can remarket it for more money and make money. <laughs> so that's kind of the, the start of it, to be I honest. Love that. I was like 12 years old and clearing like $200 a week. <laughs> now, $5 when you're 12 is a big deal, but 200 is like very, very impressive. Especially back then. So that kind of was the first, um, I guess, taste of, of selling. And I just, I was a bit of an extrovert and, you know, loved that. And then my mum one day took me to a beading store. It must have been on a weekend where she yeah. just needed to like funnel energy into something. And I, and I made my first pair of earrings in a little beading class when I was um, just under 13. And I was just hooked. I was like, this is so cool. Like I can... I can find these components and put them into something that someone can wear. And that's kind of how my jewellery journey started. Amazing. Um, selling it to literally anyone who would look at me. So <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, set up, I set up like a table probably illegally outside the local like IGA selling $5 earrings. And, yeah, 13 I was, I was kind of selling my goods. I, I absolutely love that. What did you do with the money at that age? That you were, were you like hoarding it in a shoebox? Did you have a bank account? Like, did you set, spend it on something? I'm pretty sure I reinvested so much of it into like the next thing that I wanted. I, I really, from an early age, so from 13 to 16, I was reinvesting in buying tools. And um, by 16, my family moved to Tasmania. Um, and that was like, we were moving to the big city. Wow. Like we moved to Tassie and I literally was like, the world is my oyster. Like this wow. is amazing. And that's when I signed up to, well, firstly, I was supplying some um, of my jewellery to a local gallery. And I literally was this scrawny little 16-year-old kid who walked in with a shoebox of jewellery. Wow. And they said yes and started selling it at like a... But that takes a lot of guts to like put yourself. Yeah. I mean, maybe you were young enough to kind of have that like invincible spirit and you hadn't had your soul crushed yet like the rest of us. But going into a gallery and saying, hey, I've made this like, and believing that it was worth money, like looking back, you yeah, must be exactly. like, that's gutsy. And I'm like, did they feel sorry for me? But it was, you know, like it was out on display. And then when they were selling it for like such a profit, I was like, that's it. I need to cut them out. I could be making all of that profit. And <laughs> at 16 was when I applied to the Salamanca markets, which is, it's a really, it's a really famous market yeah, now, Australia-wide. And I started there literally at 16. My mum would drop me to the end of the markets when I was, um, it'd like rain, hell or shine with just bags of stuff. And I would set up a little card table and that's how it blew up. 
Wow. What about school? Was that a was that <laughs> you were you interested in school at that point? Yeah, way too interested okay. in school. So I um if I wasn't making jewelry, I was like studying. So I I actually wanted to be a doctor um ever since I was a little my grade six journal, I was like creating cancer healing machines. Wow. Um, such, such a weirdo. Yeah, that is and, weird, but you know, all the cool people are weird. <laughs> I got into medicine in grade 12, but my mum had a um, subarachnoid brain hemorrhage when I was 18 and we spent um, a good part of a year in hospital. She was in a coma and actually, like they didn't think, they said there's no way she's going to make it. And she's just this miracle, miracle story. So what does that do to someone at that age? Yeah. How does that kind of put life on a different course? Because you can't be unchanged from an experience like oh, that. Oh, not at all. I think it actually paved my decision-making for my career ahead because I would see the same doctors just rotate like on the ward every day and I – it was in that moment that I kind of made the decision that I didn't want to live to work. I wanted to work to live. And so I didn't know what that looked like. It changed. Like I did, I declined my medical offer because I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in there. And I think that, you know, having that creative mind and wanting to do jewelry, I just being there for that year kind of cemented to me that it wasn't right. And I probably would have taken five years at uni to to realise that otherwise. So you're 18, (laughs) you say no to medical school and you kind of, you're all in on jewellery. At what point in career-wise, time-wise, did you realise or did you actually know, not hope, but know I am going to make money off of this. This is actually like I can make a career out of this and and be comfortable and not have to just be sitting in a market every week hoping that people buy my stuff. This is the crazy thing. So like I, the closest thing for medicine, I was like, okay, what else should I do then? So I enrolled in a double degree. I did science and law. And my idea was to utilize like the, you know, the science, the science side of things. And then I also am like a, um, I'm, a, I'm great at arguing. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do law. And I re- originally wanted to do intellectual property law, working yeah. with scientists. So I did five years. I'm not joking, five years of uni. And I would be um, studying and then doing the markets on the weekends. But the markets were full. I, like we were a business yeah. when I say we, me and my sister, who's um, actually six years younger. She was my sidekick sales recruit. <laughs> And we were like, we were making money one day a week and I was off traveling every uni holidays, but I'm not joking. It wasn't until the end of five years of studying science and law that I won a entrepreneur competition that I even fathomed being an entrepreneur, which just like, I think that it's always saddened me because it's not, it's not like someone had come up and said, you know, over those five years, you could do your business. Like it literally took me. Mm taking a punt and entering a competition and winning. Um, And if my parents were like, what? Um, Do you think part of that is being a woman? Like, because I think maybe we're still in a world where as a woman you you need a higher authority to come and give you permission to do. You don't need it, but in your head. Um, I I still need permission. It's like, you know, becoming a mum, I always said the only thing that will stop me from working so hard and like have a life is becoming a mum. Like I knew that I knew, it's like I needed permission to do that. And yeah. even that like grinds my gears. So I think like 
it totally is being a woman. Like I had a dad, we, I grew up in a really traditional family. Dad was always supportive, but he did say for yonks, like you sell trinkets, like yeah. it's a little cute hobby. And I'm like, no, it's like a fully fledged business. And it wasn't until we were really, you know, like winning awards and things like that, that dad's like, oh, can I invest now? <laughs> no, you missed a chance, yeah. pops. These trinkets are not for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, you know, like as much as I say, like as much as, you know, being a girl doesn't inhibit you from from starting a business, it's definitely very noticeable being that outspoken person negotiating leases with like six-year-old men and going to CEO luncheons where I'm the only female, like that sort of thing. For um, Just to get some clarity around business, if we think about where the business mm-hmm. was then, kind of in the yes. markets as opposed to today and you are like you've got yep. your beautiful daughter Vienna you got one on the way but it's been you know a, a, a couple of years between that how's Francesca doing now because I mean from all yeah. accounts you hashtag killing it yeah it's been wild so like the business in a snapshot shot sort of the journey because a lot of people love knowing the journey because it's not it's not linear no. um so I did five years of uni I finished my uni degree uh I was just working at the markets one day a week and literally selling my butt off like every day that we were there. And I knew that we had, like, I knew that we had the potential to be a big business. And what happened was, was I got offered a law position when I graduated and they gave me a month to choose between the business and the job. They just said, there's no way that you can do both. Um, And I actually rang my dad and I thought that he would say oh you're a girl like you know just go the law path have a family and he he said something that like has stuck with me forever he said do what makes you time rich Mm. and I just knew like I knew so good yeah like the best piece of advice ever I knew that I would sell like myself to a firm work my way up and then probably have to leave to have a family yeah and I was like I have the potential to like be time rich and to do what I love every day so that was it for me. So I was like, turned down the position and that was in 2013. So not a huge like time ago. Yeah. Um, but from there I was like, okay, I'm going to open a store. I just, I opened a, like a really random like store on the outskirts of the city, mostly so I could make jewelry there. Mm-hmm. I worked a three day law job to pay the rent just in case we didn't sell anything. And within 18 months, we had opened like a full flagship store in the city um, and paid for the fit out within six weeks. Um, I, I got knocked back from every bank loan just to open that store. Um, but I was so passionate. I just literally like, I, I talked to whoever would listen to how, you know, how amazing this, yeah. this brand was. So um, 2014, we then got invited to the Golden Globes. And at that stage, it was like, Tassie Business going to the Golden Globes. And I didn't have any money, so we crowdfunded. And I just packed a suitcase, literally just two suitcases of jewellery, flew over there, and that kind of elevated the brand a little bit more. But there's a big Um, difference between, like, regional New South Wales (laughs) slash Tasmania to, like, Hollywood. So were you... Were you too young to be nervous? Like, did you, or did you, or were you like? I was. I think. I think sometimes you just got to be a bit crazy. Like, totally. you. I think, like, looking back, if I had ever overanalyzed any of the decisions and not gone with my gut, um, we wouldn't be where we were. Yeah. And I still, to this day, like, I know that any time I go against my gut, 
it, like things fall apart. So, true. so it's one of those, like, yeah, it's one of those things I was just like, yep, that sounds good. Got a good feeling about it, but I'm going. <laughs> so, yeah, so that kind of was like a bit of a pinnacle for, yeah. for me um, in terms of the, the brand. And I just faked it over there. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge Australian designer. Like, <laughs> no one knew. No one knew who well, we were. that's the America way, um, though. Like, totally talk yourself up. Yeah. So essentially now we are in, we're based in Hobart. Um, I have a team of 64 women. We're yet to employ men. You employ 64 (laughs) human beings, let alone the fact that they're all women. That is unbelievable. So more, more kids along the way. Yeah. And like, it's my, um, I'm so lucky. I get to work beside my sister. So I could only bring the, the business to a certain stage. My sister's six years younger than me and like the most creative person you've ever met in your life. I'm the business brain. And um, when I finished um, uni, I convinced her to also not go to uni. Bad <laughs> And, and join me on the ride. So it's her and I. She's based oh, in wow. Melbourne. I'm based here. And we, we really want to be, you know, a business that's known for not just jewellery. We want to tell stories. Um, we want to give back. Mm. Our team want to desperately be a part of something that's worthwhile. And I think that's what makes, like, the world go around. Like, people people shouldn't have to just go to work to get, get a paycheck every week. There, yeah. there needs to be more about life. And we've we've tried to bring that to business. So well, you've done yeah, an amazing 64. job. Sixty-four employees is incredible. Yep. The fact that they're women, but you've also got like you work with refugees from Eritrea, mm-hmm. and you've also donated yep. like a million dollars to charity through the business. So talk to me about really wanting to kind of do more than just make money because it would be, yep. you know, like no one would question you if you just went into this to get really rich. People would be like, "Yes, good on her." and good on you yeah. and your sister so where did that kind of decision happen and and where do you think the kind of inspiration came from to to do more than just make money totally so I guess it was a few years of like really hardcore work just to even you know survive making payroll every yeah. week like I literally <laughs> borrow money from my now husband um to make payroll yeah. but I think once we felt like we were on top and we were trying to like just on top of like cash flow and trying to work out who we are like everyone has an identity crisis yeah. and we we sort of had that and Rachel and I we were in a meeting one day and Rachel's like we sell jewelry Hannah like is there more to life um and I think we both were like yeah like there's got to be more that like you know lights us up inside than just selling jewelry mm. and that that was about six years ago and we started um we decided that we had such a good Instagram you know platform and we had the opportunity to be impressionable on young women especially that we wanted to use the platform the business as um, something that raises awareness and funds for causes and obviously um it introduces us to new audiences as well so we started our breast cancer bracelet our first ever like charity piece and it was just, you know, like we couldn't afford to donate money at that yeah. stage, but we we could do what we were already doing. Um, and I think that's a really powerful thing that like a lot of business owners could be doing more of. And then soon after, I actually was approached by a local charity um, founder and she was raising money for um, women and children who had been um, sex trafficked worldwide. 
And I was like, this is amazing. Like, okay, I'm going to design a collection just for you guys. And we launched it. And the first day we raised $10,000, like a hundred. And from that day, a hundred percent of any purchase with them goes to their cause. And we, we thought there's so many amazing refugees in Tasmania, all across Australia, and they don't really get much opportunity. So we kind of brainstormed um, that we would be, because we can make, we make like half of our product in-house still to this day, which is, a you know, like I think that's something that's not really supported by the government or, you know, um, much industry in Australia. We were like, they don't have to know how to speak English and they're probably the most amazing hard workers and they'd probably be so grateful. And we thought we would do like a pathways program to future employment. It must have been, I think it's 2016. And we we hired four amazing African women, um, you know, had our first little morning tea with them. They knew no English, but we just showed them what to do. Wow. And um we were going to be their resume for future employment and they're, they're still with us. So <laughs> yeah, like, um, I had a feeling that was where this is going. <laughs> like literally I adopt, like to the point where like one day, so the two of them had young daughters and they don't have family here that like off, um, most of them yeah. have fled without their husbands. And what, the first school holidays, the kids started turning up. I was like, oh, this is happening. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So they became part of the family, like honestly. Yes. So we've got six six Eritrean women and their stories are just like gut-wrenching, yeah. like, you know. We could never comprehend. No, never. And two Afghani girls um, work for us as well. Amazing. So Yeah, we've got, and they're like, they speak fluent English now. That is amazing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And speaking of mothers, um, I guess that's a nice little segue into the motherhood component of this chat because not only are you an incredible businesswoman CEO, but you're a mama uh, of one and a half, one on the way. Um, I don't know about you, but pregnancy was and, and motherhood showed me a vulnerability I'd never kind of discovered before. And for people like us who are used to being in control and having things the way we want them, it can be um, pretty nerve-wracking feeling that vulnerable. So what were the lessons for you? How did you how did you go with that with, with pregnancy number one? Yeah, it's so funny. I think, you know, the biggest learning I, I think is that, yes, we care about ourselves, but we're never going to care about ourselves more than we care about our children. And um, when I became a mum, you know, I think I was one of those really naive mums at the start where I was like, oh, this is amazing. You know, like it's so glamorous, even though it wasn't glamorous for me. Like I was very sick. Um, I didn't get to experience too much pregnancy bliss um, because at the 12 week scan with my daughter, um, they kind of, you know, were doing the routine scan and I was thinking this is great and they hesitated and um, left the room and so always great it's just what you want 
and it's just it's one of those things I'm like really like there's so much stuff that's happened to me in my life that like come on like and she came back in with a senior doctor and said look we're just having a bit of trouble um with the little one's arm um so what had happened was my daughter at 12 weeks where they're tiny um she had her whole arm but it was kind of like chicken winged up and caught on her shoulder and um Luckily enough, this sonographer, this doctor, she had been studying this really rare thing called amniotic band syndrome, which is where uh, like a fibre from your uterus goes into the womb and can wrap around the baby. And she spotted one and she said, I'm pretty sure your baby has an amniotic band like wrapped around its arm. And I just thought, what, what? And I made the mistake of going back into the car and Googling it. and Don't do it. Yeah, fell apart. But, it, you know, like it's, but it was the reality of the situation, yeah. you know, um, and it was around her umbilical cord as well. So at that moment, I was like, firstly, like, all I want is to be able to have this baby. Yeah. And secondly, like, what, like, what, what, what's going to happen? And so I was just in a mess for two days straight. But essentially what they said is that she, her arm's going to be amputated um, at some stage in the, pre- in the pregnancy. So I would have a baby with um, a disability. Yeah. Um, and when you say and, amputated, that means like the the band would eventually cut off. Like correct. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not like a, a, it's not a surgery. The baby would be born. No, with the amputation one, um, having happened. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, like, and it's funny because people are so polite; they don't ask questions. But every now and then they do, and like literally. So as she grew, the band becomes tighter and tighter, mm. and eventually, um, by sixteen weeks, it had been fully amputated from um, her elbow down, and then your body absorbs the limb, um, which oh is my just God. Is that unbelievable. Yeah, it's insane, and you know, I think the arm was not the issue for me it was the umbilical cord it was you know like how that that whole pregnancy I just had to pray that she was going to be okay and I went through the whole you know like I went through the whole journey of flying to Melbourne when I was 16 weeks and this it was to the fetal management unit which is like even the name is just Mm. and this man just telling me look you know like we can terminate like we can you know we can and I said, to, I just had to say to him, I said, so hang on, she's healthy otherwise. She's just going to have one arm. And he goes, yep, yep. And I said, well, okay, like, what's the issue? And then he kind of made a joke saying, oh, well, she'll be in the Paralympics. And, and I was just like, wow, like, like you, you just want the best for your children. And I was already having to, like, um, fight for this little girl. Um, so, yeah, like, we just, we just watched and waited week by week. And it wasn't until she actually came out that we saw that her arm was a little bit shorter than we had prepared. Um, but she was amazing. Gosh. It's it's like we so much of pregnancy, I think, and motherhood is really yeah. just a mirror being held up to you, right? Like everything yeah. is questioned. And I think yeah. You know, I had a I had a perfect pregnancy up until kind of the last couple of weeks with preeclampsia, which is fine. Yeah, but I wasn't sick. It was just like this wonderful time. But I still had so much fear and so much of this yes. idea that I want my baby to be okay. And I, yes. you know, like this idea of like, and then it's like I want my baby to sleep and I want my baby to crawl when they're supposed yep. to. And really <laughs> it's about us, right? It's about oh. us wanting to feel like 
we are enough and our child is perfect and, you know, yeah. it's, it's this kind of ego thing. But for you, you know I what, th- that, that mirror is like so bang on because like I was, I was always thinking that I was quite self-aware, but becoming a mum, I was, I didn't realise how much I was even, um, I guess, mirroring what my parents had done, oh, you yeah. know, to raise me and stuff. And I was that person that literally, like, I was so anal with what she, when she went to bed, when she woke up, if she <laughs> woke up 10 minutes earlier, I'd be like, oh, this is like ruining my, you know, how I've strategized. <laughs> Our whole, like my brain just went into this overdrive and it was actually a coach one day that I, I, I crumbled after just the constant worry and mm. like spontaneity of motherhood yeah. that she, I rang her one day and she goes, Hannah, do you think that you're wanting Vienna to be the perfect child? Yeah. And I just like wept <laughs> and I was mm. like, oh my gosh, like. I was pr- trying to project onto her like everything that society says that a baby should do when. Yeah. Um, you know, and when then we take it personally. Sleep. It becomes about <laughs> us. So we had Dr. Shafali on recently who's a clinical psychologist who deals with families and it is this yeah. idea of a parental ego. Like she yes. kept asking me, all right, well, if if he doesn't crawl when he's supposed to, what does that mean? And what yeah. would you do? And how would you feel? And it was all about me. It was all about yep. me feeling like I would 100%. be a failure. And all of this expectation we put on our kids and it's yep. got, actually got nothing to do with them and everything to do with what we want, which is just it's crazy. the yeah. earlier you can get your head around that, the better. Cause I think some yeah. parents never do. And their kids and it's a pay cycle the price. Because, you know, like, Yes, like I've told you, yeah, I've told you what I've achieved, you know, mm. in my childhood and everything like that. But it hasn't become, it hasn't come without so much resistance to like, why can't I just chill? Like, why yeah. can't I just, you know, be that person that just can walk outside and be be content? And mm. that's because my parents had, um, you know, I think subconsciously sort of like encouraged us children so much that we had this sense of achievement, achievement yeah. that we had to feel daily and it's funny because I I caught myself doing that to her when she was about six months of age and she was doing a little trick and I was like clapping her and she was Mm. getting this like buzz from me and I just saw I just saw in that moment I was like oh my gosh like I'm I'm facilitating this like um need for yeah, um, a- approval and achievement but some people will never do that work Hannah like like it's amazing that you've like that you that you have the self awareness, and now that you've got Vienna and you've got baby number two, yep. what are the things that you want to pass on, and what are the things yeah. that you actively want to like end with you? You know what I mean? If that makes sense? Yeah, totally. Look, it, it's really hard, and I think it's like you know, I think motherhood is the, my number one word for the first year was surrender, mm. and as soon as I did, like the wake ups at night were easier. So true. You know, like I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, like my sleep, my sleep book didn't say that she would do this. Like <laughs> as soon as I surrendered, I actually started to enjoy the process. Yeah, but I think good. as well, um, early on, right, I met um, when I found out about Vienna's arm and that she would be born with one arm. I reached out to this influencer called Jessica and she has one arm. and She's an Olympic swimmer. And we met up one day when Vienna was like six weeks old. And she said to me, she goes, Hannah, I just want to let you know that Vienna doesn't have to be inspirational. Mm. She doesn't have to, you know, like she doesn't have to be applauded for doing everyday things. Um, and, oh, you know, like, cry. <laughs> it's 
right? And I was like, far out. Coming from someone who, you know, like anyone would see, like what she does daily is inspirational. She had this heaviness to be inspirational to others Mm. um, just for living with one limb, like with one arm. Um, So that's definitely something that, you know, like I'm so proud of her and I want to show how, you know, she uses her foot as her her arm and things like that but there's also in the back of my head it's I think all that we can be is just conscious of what we're doing and you know like what we're encouraging and I think you know I stuff it up sometimes and I'm like I shouldn't have done that shouldn't have clapped at her Mm. you know but I think the biggest thing being a parent is just to give a child space to be themselves. Amen. Um, it's so true let them run their own race and get out of their way. Yeah. And she said, and then it's funny because the mother of Jessica came and said, the hardest thing that you'll ever have to do is sit back and watch her work it out. And I was like, oh, shit. Yep. Like that's something that I'm going to have to do. And I have, I have to sit on my hands. It's like this visual of me not wanting to show her the way. Mm. Um, And yeah, like she's already taught me so much in two years (laughs) that, you know, I couldn't have innovated. So I think, you know, and another thing as well is, yes, I had an anxious pregnancy with all of the unknowns, but it was really refreshing to see like a friend who she had, she was like, you had the perfect pregnancy and everything like that. But when she gave birth, like she just broke down and was like, I was just so worried. Yeah. And you can't quite, like, you can't quite compre- comprehend until like you're, you're in there. Um but I think the, the the biggest challenge that I found is that business never stops, but motherhood, like your your mother brain never stops. Yeah. Um, and it's like you have to put on the safety, you know, the safety um, mask first sometimes so that you can cope mm. with like the constant juggle of the two never yeah. stopping. It's full on. <laughs> You're doing an incredible job. But before I say goodbye, I just want to ask, Pregnancy number two, I mean. Oh, my gosh. I was getting tightenings just before. Oh, my gosh. Um, when are you due? Um, so I'm, so he's arriving in two weeks, Max. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So Have you had I'm the gonna... same fear? Like, how did you go into it? Oh, like, how, how was it? Were you going to yeah. that 12-week scan? I would have been I won't bricks. lie. Like, I was – It's. Oh, it wasn't until I was sitting there and I was just overwhelmed with emotion. Mm. Um, and even still, I think, you know, like when you have stuff happen, you're always worried about the, the, the what can go wrong. And interestingly, like I just had COVID two weeks ago whilst oh, being God. pregnant. Um, and, you know, he's he looks like I've got an amazing obstetrician who's just on the ball and he might come a little bit early because um, – COVID might have affected you know like Mm. me and him a little bit um but you know I think at the end of the day the biggest thing is to always step back and just rationalize and think you know what's the worst case scenario like that day in bed when I was like just feeling sorry for myself you know that I was going to have a baby with one arm my husband was like Hannah like she chose you for a reason Mm. because you know like you can you you're equipped to deal with this and I think that's always brought me back to you know the situation whatever happens like we have to find the confidence and the you know like the belief that we were chosen for a reason I love it 
will um, be really inspired. There's so many different takeaways. I don't even know where to start from this chat. Um, I hope I can meet you in person one day. We can be real life friends. I would love that. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hannah Vasicek, what an absolute legend. I hope you loved that chat. What a great attitude she's got towards hard work, towards tough stuff and challenges. I was so inspired by her. And what I really loved is that even though she's this badass CEO, hardworking, incredible woman, there's a beautiful softness to her. Um, Let's all send our collective good thoughts towards her as she embarks on motherhood for the second time very, very soon. We love you, Hannah. I mentioned at the start of the episode that we've got a $500 voucher up for grabs from Francesca. Thanks to the girls for generously donating that. If you would like to win it, shoot me an email, win at ash.london. No real entry requirements. Just tell me why you're great or tell me why I'm great or send me a photo of your pet dog. I don't really care. Um, I love you guys. The winner will be announced uh, next week. Take care, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.